Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Stromsky, where every week I host a new guest with unique professions, personal adversity, or even maybe a strong opinion or two. And if you haven't hit the five stars review on Apple Podcasts, please hit it now before you forget. Running a podcast is a surprising amount of work, and more reviews converts into a wider range of future guests. I have the pleasure of interviewing the Denver transplant, Janine Kapaska Broke, a visionary leader and co-founder alongside her husband of The Table. Janine has been at the forefront of a remarkable movement shaping Denver's neighborhoods. Through the power of urban farming, vibrant community meals, and engaging conversations, The Table passionately embodies its value with a mission to nurture both body and soul and foster genuine connections. Janine and her team have woven a tapestry of tangible grace that welcomes everyone to partake. So get ready to delve into the stories of nourishing not just individual lives, but entire communities as we sit down with the extraordinary Janine. Enjoy. The best way to start it off is, so I live in Virginia, where where Aaron McCrane's from, and I just got off a okay harvest. This is actually a funny story. I've got like two garden beds, because um, my my ground, I, I, I did the lazy way, obviously, where I did garden beds instead of actually fixing up the soil of where I'm at. And uh, I tried to do the ceilings like in like February and March and stuff like that. And it it just didn't work out. And like last year was amazing. And then this year, I I don't know what happened. So I had to go, I I did the cheaters way out, went to Home Depot, got some plants, planted them. So two months later, I'm looking at my tomato plants. And I'm like, what what is wrong with these tomatoes? Like they're yellow. They haven't even they're not even changing to red yet. Like it's been like two weeks and they're still ye- they're still yellow. And then I, I take like a longer look at them. Like I like really get in there and I'm like, that looks like a ripe tomato. There's no way that so I look on the on the ground and they're the uh I forget the name of them, the yellow, the yellow tomatoes. Like they're supposed to be yellow. And yeah, then I, I, I pull them out and I'm just like, ah. Oh, such an idiot <laughs> they were uh, yellow yeah. because they're supposed to be yellow <laughs> they're supposed to be yellow are they the um, little light bulb shaped ones um or are they like slicing tomatoes that are yellow they're, they're slicing tomatoes that are yellow um i think that they have some some cool name like uh i don't remember but it was it's a really cute name uh I can't think of it at the top of my head, but yeah, they're, they're, they're like normal slicing tomatoes. Okay. Um, but it's just like every year, I, it's not that I do something stupid. I just learn something like every time I'm doing it. Um, do you feel just to start the questions out? Do you feel like you learn something like a, a bunch of new stuff every year from just. The conditions are always different. Is it? Yeah. And we work across um, 18 different plots. Mm-hmm. And so um, the conditions in each one of those plots is is different. And uh, because we also have to rotate crops, mm-hmm. rotate what, what grows where, um, keep moving it around, then 
you're like, oh, wow, this plot finally actually did something with zucchini. Last year we tried peppers and it was horrible, but zucchini worked here this year. Oh, but we have to move zucchini along to somewhere else next year, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's so funny how like, like it's pH, sunlight, and then water accumulation. It's like some are very good. They're, they're, it's like children. Like my wife's a kindergarten teacher. And then like some kids, they flourish no matter what, like you've got a teacher right on you or the teacher doesn't need to touch you. But like some kids, they need like to be in the right spot in the classroom. They need constant supervision. You know what I mean? It's just plants are just like any living thing. Well, you know, I caught something that you said, I think in your intro about the tomatoes, like you planted them. And then I, I think this is what I heard you say. Mm -hmm. You went out two months later. I, if, I, if I had, it, it might've been two weeks. It it was, we'll put it this way. It was a stupid amount of time on my part. We'll put it that way. <laughs> so whether it's kids or gardens, I think the thing that's really screamed at me this year is that they require a relationship. Yeah. Um, and uh that's not how we americans function with the green space that we may have been given or even bought with our home we don't want to have a relationship with our green space usually um oh it's really nice that someone else does that <laughs> it's really nice that someone else comes and grows food in my yard i don't have to pay any attention so yeah. speaking on that, <laughs> what 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 do you do? Let's oh, let's start to clue in the people who totally ignore my introduction. <laughs> okay, so um, I am an urban farmer and run a nonprofit called the Table Urban Farm, and I also have a background in environmental science and a master's in public health. So I'd like to say I work at the intersection of public health and agriculture, mm -hmm. um, which is super grassroots. My mom asked me once, so do you really think you're doing public health? Yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> um, so yeah, I grow food in um, scattered plots because our organization doesn't own any land. Um, and in a good year, we grow about 7,000 pounds of food a season and we give it all back to the community for free or give what you can, or we hope people are really, we hope people are inspired to share forward um, in some way, either with the food or with some other resource that they have that they feel that they can share. And just to put a frame of reference, you said 7,000 pounds of food. Mm -hmm. Do you have like, just for the, like when people give me numbers, like 7,000, but do you have anything that like that relates to like, just for someone who needs more images in their head to quantify how much food. Yeah. Boy, I'm not good with that either. That that's a great question. Um, and I wish I could quickly, the USDA says 1.64 pounds of food or something like that becomes a, a meal. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could translate it um, into okay. meals. So, for example, let's round it up to two pounds. There's 364 days in a year. So that's six, seven, 28. 
So 700 pounds of food for one person for one whole year. So that's still amazing. Like, that's crazy. Um, One cool question I have for you. So you mentioned earlier on about some people that, oh, you can come garden like in my like my yard. Is mm-hmm. is that like a like a common thing that they're they kind of just like open it up and they don't really take care of it themselves? Or is it different depending on the situation? Um we have the whole spectrum of experiences with landowners. Um the sweetest <laughs> is actually uh I went to look at this property about four years ago and it's a it's a an older couple retired and a couple patches in their front yard and you know we were having a conversation and I said well okay let's talk about irrigation because we are in a high desert here in Denver and um it's all about water and he's like oh I'll hand water and I was like uh, no, <laughs> we're not going to grow food here. This is never going to happen. But for some reason, I didn't have the heart to say, no, we're not going to partner with you. I I did say yes. And this, this man hand waters probably twice a day. How old is he? He, I'm going to say maybe 74-ish. Mid-70. It's so funny that you say that because it reminds me, my father... And my mother lived with me during the week to look after my children. Uh-huh. And if anything, they're very good at like the routine, easy tasks. Like you tell them to do something and it's just like, it's one thing you don't have to worry about. But if I try to change the schedule, then that's like complete anarchy. It's just like, you've got this <laughs> really good old machine that was made in like the fifties or sixties. And that's mm-hmm. good quality machines. But if you throw like something brand new at it, you you might as well throw it away then. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. So his his garden has been amazing every year. And it's all about relationship. It's about the time he he spends. And um, and then actually it is 100 percent about relationship. And at the end of the first year, his wife said, This garden saved his life. Um, it was so purposeful, so hopeful. Um, and then we have, um, gardens, uh, where we never see the landowner. Um, and when we started 12 years ago, we took any plot that was offered to us just, just to get started. And many were, and to this day, we probably get three inquiries a week. Um, Hey, I learned about what you do and Hey, I have this space and Hey, wouldn't you like love? I'd love for you to come and work in my yard. So we have to do quite a bit of vetting now because it's not sustainable. Yeah. No, I, I, one of my biggest things that I always aspire for is functional fixedness. And that's exactly what I kind of see you do. So you see a plot of land and just like you describing with the old man, but I think your, your personality got in the way of the land, but that was good, right? Because it ended, you got all this awesome food out of it. It worked out in the end, but can you tell me, can you tell me about, a negative time that you've done it, that it turned out good, turned out bad. Mm. And that made you learn, like, maybe I should, I don't know, steer away from that or vet them more closely on this aspect. Follow my gut. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
<laughs> wow. There have been times when, uh, like we've attempted to convert pasture to mm. garden and, um, and it was definitely that instance where, oh yeah, you can have this, this, this pasture and, uh, you would weed and you'd come back the next week and it's as if you had never done anything. And I just like turn around and leave. Like I, I thought it would be like from all the, the, well, I guess the manure would be good, but is that manure good if they're just eating like something like not very good, like soil wise? Mm. I'm very, very particular about manure. Mm-hmm. I will use chicken sparingly because you have to do that sparingly. Um, I will use cow, although I think I had some issues with that last year, dairy manure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, uh, I use a lot of goat and alpaca. Mm-hmm. Um, horse is, the, <laughs> I can't believe I'm on a podcast talking about shit, but why not? Um, <laughs> horse is the one that I'm pretty skeptical, skeptical of, um, because of the residual pesticides in the hay or straw that, that mm-hmm. they may consume. And it's super hard to trace back. And if someone has, you know, you have to rely on that farmer, but if he, if he got his product from another farmer, did he really ask that farmer and back it goes. Um, and so I navigate that best when I say, well, have, have you used this in your garden or other people, you know, have you, have they used your manure in their garden and, and what were their results? You know, did they have any issues? Um, that's the best that you can do. Um, so what what got you to start doing this like well let's let's put it this way what was your job before you started this oh um i worked in higher education as the director of admissions for a small private college in michigan okay Um, but it really goes back to being a kid in rural iowa with a huge garden Mm -hmm. and that's what we did all summer what's what's huge huge like eight how many acres um probably no it wasn't if i lived on an acreage not a farm but an acreage in the country and i'm gonna say the garden was 40 feet by 100 that's that's still pretty good that's like a like a good plot right yeah yeah okay and we had some garden at the neighbor's house too. And so um, as a kid, you know, we had to um, shuck the peas and snap the beans and do all that before we could go swimming. And uh, life and our days were very much oriented around growing food and preserving food. And um, when it came to fruit, we had pears in the fruit room, which were, they were canned pears and canned applesauce and canned Bing cherries and canned peaches. And so, um, I, I know my mom went to the grocery store for, um, yogurt and cereal and some staples, but when it came to produce, Um, we had it in our freezer or it was canned. And so as an adult, I remember very clearly going to the store and I'm like, I don't know whether to buy fresh frozen or canned. I I don't know. And I was studying environmental science at the time doing my undergrad. And then I was working for a land trust 
in Iowa. And so you're doing a lot of work navigating environmental issues and concerns with farmers and starting to recognize the agricultural engine that is, is our country, right? Mm-hmm. And reflecting on the way I grew up, I, I started to sense there's a better way and have a lot of compassion for the small family farmer. And I went on from there to, well, I, I stopped for four years um, working in that field because I was the breadwinner for our our little family. Do you, and, do you mind uh, me asking uh, how, how many brothers and sisters you had on when hmm. you were growing up? Yeah, two brothers and one sister. Okay. I was just saying, because I, I I think I've interviewed a couple people who were grown on farms, but they had like four or five brothers and sisters, which makes complete sense. I mean, because mm-hmm. you're not going to have one or two children like helping with the fields and stuff like that. Sorry, keep going. I was yeah. just curious. Yeah. Um, my I have my grandma's canning books and they were published and it showed how much you needed to preserve of each thing for a family of eight Mm -hmm. for a whole year. You needed to have this many quarts of this and this many, it was, it was amazing. Um, and that's how they lived. And that's really kind of how I, I lived. Um, I knew where all of my food came from. I knew we knew what farmers we were getting a side of beef from or a hog from, or we got the chicken from my grandparents Um, I even remember going to the farm to get milk. Um, so yeah, that's how I, that, that's where it really started. Um, I, I went into farming when, um, I moved to New Jersey, uh, Bergen County, and I, uh, started volunteering at uh, a small family farm and kind of quickly, uh, kind of became the point person there and led a 40 member CSA. And I had a lot of latitude to uh, try new things, to sell to restaurants. I was also then um, commuting into New York City uh, to work on my master's. And I would take as much food of my harvest as I could on my person on New Jersey transit and the path. And I'd sell it to my classmates between classes. And they're like, where are the tomatoes and the lettuce? And so... You know, it wasn't a lot of money, but it paid for my fare. I, I've never heard of that. That's amazing. You were you were just carrying <laughs> produce on you, just selling it. I don't think I've yep. ever. I've you're a walking produce stand. I've never. That's that's never been a thing I've ever seen. But that's amazing. Yeah, was you know because I I knew I was I had the best food that they could possibly get their hands on. As long as you don't bruise bruise the merchandise, right? If you're going from like one train to the next, getting bumped. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then I set up in my garage, veggie garage. I loved that. And it was like an old school stand. And I sent out an email saying, Hey, veggie garage will be open Tuesday from three to seven, you know, pay on your honor. This is what I have. Um, so I did that for four years in, uh, while we, four or five of the years that we lived in New Jersey, um, And then um, my husband is actually clergy and he pastored a very typical brick and mortar, small congregation in Northern New Jersey and kind of came clear that we felt called to practice our faith in a different kind of way and minister to folks in a different kind of way. And 
through exploring like what what might that look like for us um the question came could could we could we facilitate um exploring faith with people and doing life with people through a farm and through a series of uh wow events and and learning we we ended up landing in in Denver because we thought that our interests around health and wellness um were values that seemed to be emulated in in the Denver community um so we came here not knowing anyone and um we did fundraise our our way here and um we didn't have any land, but in that summer, first summer that we started growing in 2012, um, we had 15 plots that we grew in right away and we tootled around on our bike and, um, we hauled everything by bike and, um, we did start with a very small CSA, hoping that in this sharing of food, it would not be transactional that people would come and they would linger and we had samples and shared recipes, but it was very transactional. People came, got their stuff and were gone. And I was like, huh, that's not what we were shooting for. And we had also started, um, soup nights, just come hang out, have soup. I love the book stone soup. Um, so, you know, we, I do like stone soup too. It's very good. Yeah. Um, What's the origins of that book? Because I remember it being, was it French or? Yeah, during the war, right? It's about these two soldiers that land in this town. And um, so we had soup night in the off season and we were growing vegetables in the summer. And um, yeah, and then we decided there's no money actually in small scale agriculture. There's no money in ministry either. (laughs) So, um, let's just give all the food away. And, um, and to us in our faith tradition, really, really trying to believe this thing called grace. It was the most tangible act of grace that we could do. Um, and if you think about it, like food grows from seeds that are really dead, you know, and you put this dead seed in the, in the ground and something grows and imagine the pepper plant. And when you open up that bell pepper, it is chock full of seeds, right? All with the capacity, unless they've been genetically modified not to grow again, but all with the capacity for more, more life, more food. It's like, amazing. And, and so it it really is a gift. Um, and so, yeah, we started just giving our food away and we would go to margins in our neighborhood, um, where you see just a lot of folks who are unhoused, um, a park where uh, families would come. The food is for anybody. It's not like we take financial information or anything. It's, it's for anybody and with the hope, with the challenge, that people might be compelled to share forward in order to build community, share nourishment and extend grace. And one question, one thing that you said about the seeds just made me think, and you probably probably get this all the time, just 
where when I'm where I grow my garden, there's like obviously um what I put in there. However, like every year I'm looking over my lawn. Like I was mowing the lawn literally two days ago and I see this vine growing underneath and I'm like, it's either it's either a cucumber or a squash because uh-huh. I'm like, what what is it even doing here? And then I had a tomato plant growing near the dumpster and then one near the front door. And then I'm just like, I'll leave it. So mm-hmm. it, it it's just funny that you you think that they're they're gone, but they're not gone. They'll they're growing up. And yeah. I think it's it, it's just a little nice surprise. Oh, you forgot about me? This chipmunk brought this uh this <laughs> like uh tomato over here and now you can grow a tomato plant right next to your door. Um so just thinking about like the way that your your plots are spread out, um, is there any like way that like large companies, obviously some of these large companies in Denver buy large um plots of land obviously to build like like a building or an orphan building but they have so much like grass around the buildings is there any way that they can be incentivized to do that on a tax basis whatsoever Uh, yeah uh so there is a thing called an agricultural tax rate right Mm -hmm. that um if your farm is in production in some way then you qualify for that it's so interesting that you bring this up because I did my master's thesis project, um, I, I was struck by exactly what you just described. In Northern New Jersey, uh, Princeton area, um, there are these massive corporate campuses, Lawn, Bristol Myers Squibb, Johnson & Johnson, like huge tracts of land. And I'm like, and it was all agricultural land. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm like, so how do we bring people back closer to their food source. What if we could convert these lawns back to gardens? And so the title of my thesis was um, the edible campus health promotion at work. And I still love that idea, but it's, it's not, I, I spent a lot, a a couple of years. You're still working on it basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're in an urban context now and there's a lot of people that walk. And so um, we do certainly connect to people that, you know, people come with questions and we want to be a resource. So we choose plots that are visible. So that if someone's like, hey, so my tomatoes, you know, they're doing this or, you know, what do you think about this? Or is there something I can plant now? You know, we we can answer those questions. But I still love the concept of of growing food in unexpected places like I, a corporate I, campus. I totally agree with you because if I'm going to tell, say, rooftop garden, you would be like, "Yes, that's what." Do you do? I assume you guys do rooftop gardens as well. We no. don't, and I am not a fan of them in Denver. They okay. are they're super cool. I mean, that was they were happening in Manhattan and Brooklyn when I was there. Um, Elevation issue elevation the sun is so intense here it is so dry okay and of course these heat waves that we're having so if if it's 98 degrees even 92 degrees at ground level no shade whatsoever yeah 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 like and the the weight of water and getting water up there and a soil medium that's going to handle i think i did i'm not a fan of that here no that's that makes complete sense. I was just thinking of it 
I don't you you might know about this, but there was some um I don't know if it was a I don't think it was a subway path, but somewhere in New York they have a trail that's just like they've recovered and mm-hmm. it's a lot of community gardens for like a stretch of maybe like three miles or four miles or something yeah, it's like that. It's that elevated walkway in Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's pretty cool. and, and it just looks like amazing. Mm-hmm. it's just good to see that stuff and hope that stuff stays like that and nobody buys it up and then, you know, tears it down. Um, right. So is this, when you started 12 years ago, obviously mm-hmm. you were just doing this to, like you said, uh, for grace and you decided to give the food out. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever imagine it would be to this level now? Mm. I imagined it would function a little differently than it does now. I imagined we'd have pockets of gardens and that there would be like a household in the neighborhood that was kind of an anchor mm-hmm. um, that would be facilitating community and time in the garden in that neighborhood. And maybe there'd be like five gardens in a pocket mm-hmm. in a neighborhood. And um, only in the original neighborhood that we started in did that ever kind of happen. And we were that anchor ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on the cusp of an interesting shift um, because I got some funding to start a new garden in, in the neighborhood where our home base is, which is called the Table Public House. That's amazing, right? Because yeah. logistics with that logistics is so much easier because refrigeration transporting from there to like where you need to store the food yes that's awesome Uh, you know i i'm i'm torn because um you know we've always gone out to the neighborhood we go out um a traditional church model expects people to come to you and when you have one big garden plot, that means you're expecting people to come to you. But there are so many benefits of that. You're actually, I think, more available when someone knows where they can find you. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, people used to say, we need to put a GPS tracker on you. Like, where is Janine? Like, because I'm just bouncing around. I'm like a bee. I'm a um, <clears throat> and I can spend 10 minutes in one plot and be on to the next one. But um, I uh, approached a police station um, just... I don't think it's even a mile away from where our home base is. And we've, and, and they had a huge swath of land that was just weeds not being used. And so I asked, could we convert that to a garden? And um, they said an emphatic, yes, let's do this. So we've spent our whole summer um, doing a lasagna garden model for building soil up is so much work, but I won't regret it. I know, I know it's worth the time. Um, and so it's about 5,000 square feet and we will grow a lot of food there next year. And it's in a neighborhood of need. And ironically, I just found out it's in a neighborhood that was plotted out in half acre parcels specifically. That was the section of city where there could be small family farms. Hmm. Interesting. How how long ago was that, uh, in just after um the second world war so late 40s early 50s into the six yeah into the 60s that makes sense yeah that is interesting so mm-hmm. and the funny thing to think about is like working with you and like doing that i f- feel like you would be a logistics master because i was just talking about like 
how awesome it is that the plot's going to be close but like how many like there's so many different plots of that you're using so it's a you've got to get the produce to somewhere where you could store it for a little bit of time obviously some of the stuff you can leave out depending on what it is but Mm -hmm. there's getting the getting all the the food from a to b uh having someone who do you do you have like a captain not a captain but a person who kind of monitors a certain area so like oh these are ready i'm going to bring these and do a drop um to what what do you guys call the uh you just call it home or like harvest days public house public house i guess yeah Yeah, public house that's like where you keep most of the food so i i just imagine like you have this huge board obviously you probably have some Google I had that one of those big boards. Yeah. So you're Google like, that. oh, <laughs> you got to pull the potatoes over for from Camden, like all this other stuff. I, it <laughs> yeah. must be crazy though, right? Yeah. There was a time, there was a year where we had 28 plots. That was crazy. I don't know how we did that, but it was an organizational feat. You know, irrigation, all the different kinds of, of irrigation setups that we had. Um, and what crops were where, but I, you, I, I learned quite a long time ago, this model where, um, consider where your home base is and then think of concentric circles out front. How do you do the metro and system the- usually if they're smart? Yeah. Um, so closest to home, keep your highest value crops and things that you need to see all the time mm-hmm. or have to pick all the time. And then as you go out, so my furthest out plots are things that I don't have to see every day. I know I can see them once a week. And if necessary, it could be two weeks mm-hmm. and it'll be okay. Um, that's an onion or winter squash. You know, they're fine. They're going to be fine. They're one and done kind of crop potatoes. But closer to home is like green beans and lettuces and tomatoes. Cucumbers. Cucumbers. Mm-hmm, things like that. So that that's one way that I bring sanity to the logistics. Um, yeah, I also I've had interns and woofers, and this year we're doing an apprenticeship program. So Aaron is one of my flower apprentices, and um, yeah, we have a, a Google Doc that we all interact with, and. Um, and I, you know, we're har- harvesting now, you know, pl- planted this on this date, you know, fertilized on this date. Um, must weed, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all those things. So I, I do uh, try to delegate the work. I really love education. I, and, and this year it really clicked for me that this is an educational farm. So production isn't at its max. And we don't, we aren't production farmers and we know that there's always a tendency to feel like that, but you have to allow margin for people learning and getting freedom to try something. And, Oh, maybe I should have used that bed differently. That didn't work out. Or maybe I should have replanted that sooner instead of ignoring the fact that nothing was germinating, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I get it from both ends just because a we're, I mean, we're, we've got to take advantage of these plots because we're, we're being given these plots. It's not like, uh, yeah. so we got to make the best of it. But from the other side, I mean, 
I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier, but you know how the all these monks, you know, who live in the monasteries and all that stuff, they're they're just that's what they're doing twenty four seven. Is just like they're they're doing their their trade. It could be like making wine or harvesting potatoes, just like you guys, and they just do that repetitively. It's not like they're. I mean, obviously, I think some monasteries sell stuff out too, but it's more like they're they're producing for everybody in the community, which is their their group of people. And obviously, it'd be nice to have a really good harvest, but it's more about community and helping one another than rather than the bottom line, where it's a obviously a profit type uh, venture or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um. So over the 12 years, what's what's the biggest lesson you've learned? That I am just facilitating opportunities for other people. Um, and that's a really good place to be. There can be way too much pressure um, and too much ego. Um, if I view it differently, but facilitating opportunity for people to learn, for people to be inspired, for people to eat better, for people to engage something that helps their mental health, um, to build community. Um, yeah, I'm in a sweet space of being able to facilitate that, but that also means I have to live a little lighter myself. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I've also learned that I really love to ride my bicycle. And the day is that we do bike to our plots. We really try to farm by bike. We get it about 50% of the time because it's hard to schlep. You have tomato juice. I would you. imagine because I mean, <laughs> there's probably some good hills too. And the other good, the other hard thing is people, well, I, I don't know how high you are up. Uh, I went to Denver maybe like two months ago and I did uh, the state park and uh-huh. You you don't know till it hits you like how I know you guys aren't like up like the 13,000 feet, but still it's who it's hefty when you especially like you said, you're on a bike and you're schlepping probably like 30, 30, 40 pounds of food. So yeah. I commend yeah. you. Oh, thanks. But it's I do love biking. Great. Yeah. Oh, there's something it's just refreshing. Mm -hmm. Just like biking. I used to bike to school every day. Every year, I try to figure out a way I can bike to work. But one day, um, what what are what are some goals? We'll just say long term goals you see for the table um, mm -hmm. moving forward. Like, do you have like a? Obviously, we were talking about production, which isn't a, a big thing. Maybe what's something that you want to reach? Um. I, I want to continue to have more opportunities to work with people in the gardens and lean into the mental health and recovery that can happen when you're tending things and the things that you can learn about yourself. Uh, so this is one little example. I just think that there's so much we can learn. Um, I was 
talking to Jemmy who works with me most days, um, about harvesting tomatoes. And when you pull a tomato off, often the little stem comes with it. Mm -hmm. You set that tomato in the crate or the, the trug, we call them our plastic trugs, the likelihood for that sharp edge to puncture the next fruit is it's like 99% sure that's going to happen. So you got to take the time to take that off. Um, so that the next, the next fruit, yeah, is- it doesn't open it up and then, yeah. Right. And I think about that, like in life, like what little spars or stems are sticking off of me. And when I get next to the next person, like, Hmm, it, it punctured them. Right. That's just one example, right. Of something to reflect on, you know, and it means slowing down and taking time to do the thing that you don't really want to take time to do and, uh, suckering tomatoes, you know, that growth that, that all of a sudden is crazy, you know, and it's, it's made a jungle out of, from one tomato plant, uh, that you've got to prune back and prune back and take off this extra stuff so that the main thing can do its thing, you know, and it has space, um, thinning radishes and carrots, got to get those extra ones out there so that the radish can actually become a radish <laughs> and the carrot can become a carrot. So I, I, and I've played around with this a little bit last year. I had a group of high schoolers um, working with me. Um, I think it was in September and we were doing a garden cleanup and I just had some questions for reflection and, and some kids actually really engaged it and the things that they shared, they're like, what, you know, like what, if your life is a garden, what's in your garden right now? Um, and what do you wish were there? Um, and you know, they gave some really personal reflections, honest things. So it's that kind of thing. I hope I have more opportunity to do. That that's great because I, from your alliter, not alliterations, but from what you're giving examples on, I got to slow down because when you said to remove the stems from the tomatoes, I was like, oh, you're only giving 99%. You got to do a hundred. And I'm like, that's not what she was trying to say. And then you said about pruning down the tomato plant. And I was like, oh, it can grow more tomatoes though. Obviously my mentality is try to maximize as much as possible and get as many tomatoes as possible. But by -hmm. slowing down, you can get more growth in the end. Mm-hmm. from that same plant than you would have let it go and grow on its own yeah and then they're la- laying on the ground yeah like, hill bugs uh, are eating them and you, you definitely shouldn't see my tomato fruit. plant outside then yeah wasted fruit <laughs> um okay last question to uh bring it all together what is something that your parents did that you'd like to pass on to the next generation uh, and what is something that you uh, would want to try something new that your parents might not have done? Mm. I have so much rolling around in my head about this. Okay. <laughs> um, my parents really tended things uh, and maybe to a fault. Mm -hmm. but it was our home was tended and manicured and cared for um 
and they knew how to repair things. Um, so I think that's a really good thing to pass on. Like, Hmm, how, how can we tend this space? Um, but it, it's, I guess, yeah. If you are gifted a space to tend, which hopefully all are, um, okay. But here's the thing. My family did always sit down together to eat. And that is something I want my kids to carry. I don't like my children even to just sit at the table alone eating. If, even if it's, they're having their afternoon snack and they're about to come in the door. So it's might get loud, <laughs> um, eating together. That is the thing. Okay. Eating. I like that. And anything, anything new you'd like to add? Um, about something that I want to. Yeah. Something that maybe they different that your parents might not have done. Um, something that they didn't do. They didn't, they didn't play much. Okay. I like that. We worked. And so even as an adult, um, we, we are trying to learn how to play and to take life, a, make a little, live a little lighter. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you very much for, for being on the show. I really appreciated you being on. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and what would you like to plug while you're, you're here right now? Any, anything you would like to put out there, like anything mm -hmm. new, um, that the table's doing or, you know, I talked about, um, biking, bike farming. Mm -hmm. I, we have started a fall party called Proctoberfest and it's our fall festival and we do urban hay rides. Now, some people, you know, if we can find like a small tractor, I grew up with like these lawn garden tractors to pull our, our hay rides. That's cool. We have done it by bike many times. Mm -hmm through the alleys around getting pumpkins. We've got a lot of pumpkins growing, but I think the urban hay rides that we offer in Denver, I don't think you can find them anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So come to our Croptoberfest party. It's October 14, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Table Public House, where you can enjoy great food, urban hay rides, pumpkins, face painting, and of course, beer. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, and I'll, I'll attach that to the episode as well, people. All right. Sounds Thank good. you. Thank you. All right. If you like this week's episode of people more interesting than me, please follow me on Apple podcasts. So you won't miss out on more episodes like these.